This is Radiance Tape Number JD124, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled Faith Pictures. Praise the Lord. I've been looking forward to the time when I could speak to you, the subject Faith Pictures. In this marvelous book, The Word of God, this wonderful love letter that God has given to you and to me, and I want you always to think of this Bible not as something which he has given to the masses, but your Bible is God's love letter to you. Your Bible is God's heart revealed to you. And never think of it as a book that a thousand other people or a million other people have, although they can have, and it's true. But God always tailors this book to your particular need. God always tailors your understanding of it and your ability to grasp it to what the particular need of your heart is. And so he's always making it a highly individualized and a highly tailored thing, a very intimate communication from himself to yourself. And so your book, your Bible, it is not just words on a page. Jesus said the words that he speaks, they are spirit and they are truth. The words that other men speak are merely words. They communicate what the man happens to be thinking at the time. But later on, he may change his mind or his ideas or learn that he was wrong. But what God speaks to you, that's truth now. It has always been truth, and it ever will be truth, unchanging. And these faith pictures, though every person can read the words, and the words will read the same to every person, but I tell you that God tailors exactly those faith pictures to the needs of your heart. And when we learn how to use them to change the lives of other people whom God sends you to, when you learn to do that, then your life becomes truly useful and powerful. You've learned how to use that which God has given you. Really, you become the instrument of God. Just as God takes a faith picture that you read in the Bible, and through his Spirit, he tailors that faith picture to your need, so you, by the operation of the Spirit, become the lips of the Lord Jesus, and you take a faith picture, and allowing the Spirit to guide you, you tailor that to the need of another person whom you meet. And you actually become, by so doing, you become the instrument of God. They may not have a Bible, or they may not understand where to look or what to do, but you become the instrument of God to take those faith pictures and to tailor it to the need of another person. I want to give you an illustration out of my own life today. An illustration of a man, and I'm referring now to myself, so all of this, you understand, refers directly to me. It's an experience out of my life, undoctored or unchanged, just simply told as it happened. I did not understand the use of God's faith pictures. I did not understand their use for myself, and I did not understand their use for other people. I, like so many other Christians, when I knew that the Lord had saved me, see, I knew I was saved, but then I began to see some changes that were taking place in my life. He was acting upon me by his sovereign grace, just absolutely working in my life. But I was a babe in Christ, and so he simply worked in my life as a mother and a father would work on a child. The child does not cooperate with the mother and father, except in the very rudimentary ways. 
but because it has no understanding of cooperating, how to work with its mother and father. It does not understand that at all. But the mother and father feed the child, bathe the child, clothe it. And so while I was a babe in Christ, God acted upon me in sovereign grace, and he restrained me from doing many things that would have been hurtful to me, and he urged me to do many things that were helpful to me. Did not know why I was doing them or why these things were happening, but I saw it was the hand of God, and I allowed it to happen. But later on, as I began to grow up in the Lord, the Lord was urging me more and more to cooperate with him. But either it was because I had no one who understood these things and could teach me, or maybe it was because I didn't listen too well. I don't know the exact reason. But instead of taking and making use of the faith pictures revealed in the Word of God to see myself as God saw me and to see others as God saw them, I began to fall back on a series of faith pictures, and I'm going to use that word now with quotes, faith pictures with quotes, to see a series of faith pictures that I had within myself. You see, our first years without the Lord, whether we're 20 before we're saved or some of us are just quite young, but maybe because of the way we're raised up, even though we're Christians when we're five and six and seven years of age, yet we take into our spirits the criticism, the evil thinking, the sharp tongue, the sarcasm, the attacks that we see made on other people, and we assume that that's the way to make people better. Now, I'm getting to the place in life now where I'm not so quick to make judgments of people. When I discovered this truth, I'd be very judgmental toward people who did not know this particular truth that I'm going to reveal to you today. And when I saw them acting in a worldly sense, I would really come down pretty heavy on them. Now I realize that many of those people, their hearts are right. They're really striving to make the other person better. They're striving to try and be better themselves. And yet all of their striving is in vain because it cannot possibly work. They're using the world's method of getting things done as opposed to God's method. And all of us are filled with negative faith pictures. They're really satanic faith pictures of how to make a person better. When we see them make a mistake, Instead of getting our own spirits calm, instead of asking God for divine wisdom to know how to deal with that person, to know how to help him overcome that weakness in his life, or it may even be a deliberate sin, but to know how to approach him in such a way that we can help him because we have been hurt personally by what we've seen, we normally just attack that person. And finally, in the grace of the Lord, God gave me a wife and a good woman. I knew it was God's gift to me. I knew that, although later I was to doubt that. You see, this is what negative faith pictures can do. When you apply those negative faith pictures to people long enough, then it opens the way for all kinds of doubt, unbelief, ill feeling to come into your heart, because that's what they're designed to do. The Bible tells us that Satan holds the whole world in bondage through fear, the fear of death. And that fear of death encompasses all the lesser fears, like losing your loved ones or losing your money or losing your health or whatever else it is that we are afraid of in this world. Now, Satan keeps us in the bondage of fear. The method by which businesses normally get things done is to threaten a man continually with cutting off his income. He's threatened with being fired, or he's threatened with being blackballed, or he's threatened with losing his pension, or he's threatened with whatever it is, lack of promotion. 
And when he goes home, he's received these threats all day long. His wife maybe does not do what he wants her to do, so he threatens her. If you don't do this, I'll do that. And if you don't do this, I'll do that. Then she in turn threatens him. If you don't give me what I want, then I'll leave you. I'll divorce you, and I'll take the children, and I'm going to go. And then we actually begin to powerfully project faith pictures, they're really negative faith pictures, onto each other. The woman will say of the husband, I could have married seven other men, and all of them were better than you. And why I ever married you, I don't know, because you're not a man at all. And that begins to project that picture toward her husband. Now, if he hears her and believes that, then he'll begin to act like that faith picture that she's projecting to him. On the other hand, he may turn around and say, you're a hindrance to me, wife. You're holding me back. You're keeping me from being what I could be. If you were only more socially acceptable, if only you could converse better, if only you could... And he begins to project terrible negative faith pictures to her. Then both of them may project terrible negative faith pictures to their children and say to their children, you children are clumsy, you're stupid, you're trouble in school, you always get low grades, you don't take after either one of us, we don't know who you take after, maybe you, and they begin to project these negative faith pictures to each other, to themselves, to their children, to their neighbors, the neighbors are projecting it back and forth. On the surface, all still may be in public. You meet your neighbor, hello Joe, hello Bill, all friendly. But behind closed doors are these constant projections of these terrible negative faith pictures. How did we ever get such neighbors? I was talking with Ann today, and she's having trouble with her husband. I think they're going to break up. That family is no good. This is an old argument family. This is, and so our whole hearts are literally filled with these negative faith pictures because the world lays in the lap of the wicked one. Now, you will have to realize how deep these are. Think of how many times in your life You've used this method from a right heart, maybe, or maybe from a wrong heart. Maybe you just really wanted to do it maliciously, but mostly from a right heart, that you really wanted your son and your daughter to be better, or you wanted your husband or your wife to be better. And in order to make them better, you thought that the way to do it was to sharply criticize them and just bring something down heavy upon them. And maybe you didn't know you are beginning to project to them again and again and again a faith picture that they might accept and receive and finally begin to act more and more like the very thing that you did not want them to act like. And it was actually yourself and myself. Now, in my personal experience, I'm going to tell you what did take place so that you can understand how powerful these things become. I was married to a good woman. She did not have the education that I had, although that's been well made up by now because of the things that she can do are absolutely amazing. But she didn't have the education I had. There were some differences, natural differences, which the world says are very dangerous for a good marriage. But I can speak to you now and tell you that the only thing that is necessary for a good marriage is to know that God is bringing you together with a person. And then if you practice the principles of the Word of God, all of these outward things can be changed and differences made up. But it is the practice of the Word of God that is the important thing. Well, we were married, and it wasn't very long after we were married till I asked my wife to do certain things. I placed certain demands upon her, which maybe I had a right to do and maybe I didn't. I, I don't remember what they all were now. But some of them she was not able to comply with. Either she tried to do it and failed, 
or else maybe she just didn't even know how to go about it, so she didn't even try. And my method now, understand, like so many people in this world, was to say, why have you not done that? Well, I tried and I couldn't do it. And then say, all right, I'm going to help you one time. Here's how you do that. And then maybe she tried it and failed again. And then my method, like so many in the world, was to attack her. How can you be so stupid? How can you be so ignorant? Have you not learned anything? Didn't you listen to what I told you? Didn't you get the message the first time? And on and on. Finally, this deteriorated into me acting with a kind of sullen silence or a silent superiority in which I just simply ruled her out of my life. I began to act in the same way toward my children. To make a long story short, because many years passed, and this condition intensified, our marriage deteriorated, I was still in the ministry. Now, strangely enough, the pain that I was feeling in my home with my wife my children, was really the result of the pain that I was feeling in myself, for I was not applying God's faith pictures to myself. And I was attacking myself in the same way. And because of the terrible pain and guilt that I felt within myself, I then in turn attacked my wife. Because when you're pained inside, a human thing, until we learn differently, is to tend to take that pain and place it upon another person. And now I took and I put it upon my wife in those same vicious, slashing, cutting attacks that actually after a time she began to accept because I was her head. She began to accept those things as real. If that's what her head saw, if that's what her Lord saw, see the Bible says even as Sarah called her husband Lord and reverenced him. If that's what her head saw, she began to accept that for herself. And then the very thing that I wanted her to overcome is the very thing that she went deeper and deeper and deeper into. The very thing that I told her, this is something I want you to stop, or else you're just this, that, and the other thing, was the very thing that she took to herself because I kept projecting it onto her and onto the children. They did not do well in school. They didn't do well in the home. They didn't do well in their adjustment to society itself. Now they're doing much, much better because a whole different set of faith pictures are being imparted to them. My wife is doing tremendous. A little later I will explain to you. I see we're going to have to have another time to explain it. But I'll show you the power of that faith picture. The end of it was that our marriage deteriorated to the point where we were separated for nearly three years, two and three quarter years to be exact. In that period of time, God showed me where the failure was. It was not in my wife, and it was not in my children, and it was not in all the other people that surrounded me who I thought would not give me a chance. If only they would give me a chance, then they would see all the marvelous things that I could do. It was not their fault. I had been blaming everyone but myself. I had been projecting these terrible faith pictures on everyone, that they were obtuse, they couldn't understand, they didn't see it right, they didn't know who I really was. If only they understood. My whole mind was filled with a web of these negative faith pictures. They do not come from the Word of God. They came out of my own heart, which was out of tune with the truth of God's teachings. Part of this I developed in my early years. Part of it I developed from watching other Christians act in the same way toward each other. Part of it I developed from listening to the preaching that went on, how the people were attacked violently from the pulpit sometimes because the preachers themselves were in pain in their own hearts. And then 
God spoke to me in an hour of crisis in my life. When I asked him, I said, you said that we're to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You said that we're to have life and life more abundantly, and where's mine? And God replied to me something. He hasn't often spoke to me in my lifetime in the sense of really speaking, but he did then. He said, behind everything in my word, you've added three words of your own, and they are, but we know. He said, henceforth, I want you to practice my word. Do it. And in the doing of it, you'll come to learn what it means. Well, I knew that one of the things that would have to be done is I would have to get back together with my wife and my children because it could not continue like this. It was an improper and ungodly thing. And I called her up, and we got together. And when we did, I asked God how I would now begin to approach my wife because I knew the pain that was there. I knew the hurt that was there. I knew what I had done to my children. I knew what I had done to myself. How could this gap ever really be bridged? How could love really be restored? How could trust and understanding really happen? And how could my wife be what I now saw in rudimentary form? How could my wife be all that I saw she could be? How could my children be all that I saw they could be? And then God began to reveal to me from the Word of God how to do this remarkable thing that to me would be an utter miracle. And yet God showed me the simple, simple method by which you or anyone can perform a miracle in your household. You can change the whole atmosphere of your household. You can change the attitude of your children. You can change the attitude of your husband and wife to where they're literally expressing love, to where they're literally become creative, wonderful people. You can literally walk into your church and by the application of this truth begin to change your whole church and to build up people everywhere, then bring them to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as my family came back together, I began to ask God to make me an instrument by which I could cooperate with him. And that's that intelligent cooperation so necessary that I could cooperate with him in bringing to pass these wonderful miracles that God wanted to perform in my life because that pain must disappear from me so that I'll stop inflicting others with that same pain that I feel. In other words, I must be able to accept myself. I must be able to accept the work that God has done in me as a vital and a real and a true work. I must be able to see myself as a man of God. You must be able to see yourself that way, as a man of God, a woman of God. Then how would I be able to project these faith pictures and which ones would I project? God showed me where to start. And that was with my wife. The 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs. This is the one that I use, not exclusively, but the main one that I use to tell her how I now saw her. And the reason why I saw her this way was because God saw her that way. And this was the picture that God had planted in my heart of my wife. And I began to sit down with my wife and said, I want to tell you how I see you. Now, you remember before I told you that I saw her, you can't add figures, you can't help me in business, you're not a good conversationalist, your endless criticisms. It didn't even have to be valid, but many of them were if you just merely look at these surface facts. But that's not the point. God does not look at the surface, he looks at the heart. And we must stop looking at the surface and begin looking at the heart. And looking at the heart, begin to speak what we see in the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. But many times, in certain cases, 
where the heart has been so wounded and driven behind a shell, so deep behind that shell, what is in the heart cannot come out unless someone else reaches out to that person and says, I see it there too. Bring it out. Now, I began to sit down with my wife, and first I told her things like, and it was very difficult for me to do this, I told her things like, I love you. And I would look at her. And sometimes when I did look at her and say that, I would become immediately aware of my own features. When I was looking at her, it was like a person who would say, smile, I'm going to take your picture. And maybe up to that point, I'd been smiling and laughing and doing whatever I was doing. And the minute they said, smile, my face would freeze. Well, I wanted to look at my wife and let what was in me be expressed to her. And yet when I started to do this, so much of the old habit patterns were there, I was afraid my face did not express what was really in my heart. And so I would come up to her and bump her on the side and say, uh, hey, you know I love you? And then I would dash off or look the other way or go over to the sink or something of this nature so that I wouldn't have to respond to what would come next. Finally, I made up my mind I was simply going to say that to her. And I got to where I could. Then one night I decided I was going to read this faith picture of the virtuous woman. You see, there's only one woman that ever exists in all the universe, and that's the woman that's in God's heart. Every other woman is a perversion of that woman. Satan tries to twist us off and make us act contrary to that truth. And God is always, by the power of his spirit, bringing us back to that place where this truth is powerfully expressed again. And he says here in the 10th verse, Who can find a virtuous woman? for her price is far above rubies. Now think that if you could find this virtuous woman, and if you're a woman that is listening to me now, you may not consider yourself this way. But I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin seeing yourself this way, to read this 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs and say, Lord, that's how you see me. This is how you really see me. This is who I really am. And all of the ways I act contrary to this, those ways have been cut off. They have no more life. And they're absolutely disappearing. And this woman, the real me, is now emerging and coming to the surface. And you must begin to see yourself that way. Because this is the way God sees you. You, my sister, as a virtuous woman. And, sir, if you're listening to me, you have the power within yourself. God has given it to every man to look at your wife and to see her as this virtuous woman. You can look beyond some fault that she may have on the surface or look beyond something that you don't quite understand that she does and begin to say to her verbally, first in your heart, then with your lips, then with your action, this is the way I see you because this is the way God sees you. Now, there's something that I want to express to you here, lest someone should fall into the error that so many people make when we're discussing a faith picture, and that is interpreting the exact word to be the exact thing that you must do. You must remember that this faith picture was written to the Israelites who were primarily an agricultural economy. So they spun wool, they made their own garments out of rough spun and so forth, and made fine garments, and they dyed it and so forth, because that was the work of a woman. Now, today, that would be slightly different in our mechanized country, and it does not mean that a woman should go back to spinning 
garments and spinning wool and making her own thread and so forth and so on as the work of a virtuous woman. I want you merely to capture the impact of the heart of this woman, of the mind of this woman, of the spirit of this woman. And you can see that that woman is the woman that every woman is. And all that it takes is a man of faith. All that it takes is a woman of faith to bring out that true woman that is in every woman. Now, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And so I began to tell my wife, I'd say, you are that virtuous woman. And I know that all of my life, I've been wondering about what that meant. Who can find a virtuous woman? Like they're hard to find. And I say they're only hard to find to the person who doesn't know where to look. But all of my life, since I've been married, I've had that virtuous woman, but just didn't recognize her. Just like a man with an untrained eye may step right over a ruby or a diamond and not know it. Another person coming along with a trained eye would look at that ruby or diamond and say, this is a ruby, this is a diamond, and pick it up and take great care of it. The Bible says, he that receiveth a wife receiveth a good thing and great favor from the Lord. If you'll begin to see yourself, if you're a woman, see yourself this way, and you men that are listening to me will begin to see the sisters in the church and see your wife, see them as virtuous women and not be filled anymore with criticism or these slashing attacks that we as humans make upon each other. We begin to project this picture of a virtuous woman. In our own particular ministry, we're literally blessed with numbers and numbers and numbers of noble women, sacrificing women, loving women, godly women, wonderful women. And all of them that came to us did not see themselves that way at first. It was up to us who knew the truth to apply that truth to them, to show them how we saw them, to show them how God saw them, and to see them take hold of that truth and begin to manifest the qualities of a virtuous woman whose price was far above rubies. I began to speak this to my wife. First, she couldn't believe it because that isn't how I told her I saw her. I saw her this way and that way, slashing attacks. And now I began to say, this is how I see you. It goes on to say, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Well, my wife had always manifested that quality. I could trust in her completely. She never would take my money and spend it foolishly. She didn't always spend it wisely, but she never spent it foolishly, not out of a heart. It was my own criticism that sometimes caused her to do a slightly foolish thing with it, but never out of her heart. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. There were times when my wife went through great poverty, and yet she was loyal to me. I couldn't see that quality. You see, I didn't see what to really look for in a woman because I was not going by the faith pictures of the Word of God. I was going by my own ideas of what a woman should be. And now I was beginning to say, this is how I see you. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Then it goes on to say, speaking from a strictly... Israelitish point of view. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. But I want to interpret this just a little bit. It means that that woman has given her heart to that man and given her heart to her family. And she's utterly committed to him. She's given herself to him. And every woman must see herself this way. This is the highest and noblest and most wonderful thing that any woman can ever do is to give herself to her family, 
give herself to her husband, give herself to her children, remain submitted to her husband, so that there's one common head and one goal, and that whole family is together. And here we see her. She's doing him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now when it goes on to say she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands, she's like the merchant ship, she bringeth her food from afar. It isn't speaking in a literal sense. The only virtuous one would be one who could spin wool and flax. The point is that she seeketh wool. In other words, she's a woman that says, how can I help my husband? How can I help my family? How can I be an active, vital part of this? She's not the type of woman that merely sits down and says, well, I'll see how little I can do. And the man is not the type of man that sits down and says, I'll see how little I can do and how little I can bring home and how much I can keep for myself. They learn from the Word of God that they really are givers. And the giving is the highest of all qualities. And they become givers. They delight to give. They delight to yield themselves to the purposes of God. And so she is given over to. And I begin to say to my wife, this is how I see you that I know that you love me, and I know that you trust me, and I know that you're with me. You see, I always used to say to her, you're never with me. You never agree with me in anything. You're always against me. You're always fighting me. You're always trying to. And though she wasn't trying to do it, I actually projected that into her heart, and she had to respond that way. Now I was saying to her, you're doing me good and not evil all the days of my life. I know that you love me. I know that you're working with me. I know that your heart is knitted to mine. I know that your goals are the same as my goals are, that you want to serve God with me. And then I begin to understand something a little later on that I'll read to you that's of tremendous importance. But I just want to continue reading this so you get the message of it. She rises also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. I tell you, this may sound funny to some of you folks that are listening. But many is the time when my wife has been up before me and comes in and brings to me while I'm still in bed, actually brings me a cup of coffee and sometimes breakfast in bed. Never used to be that way. I'd always yell and storm around, how come my toast is burning, my eggs aren't done right, and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And now when we begin to have this relationship developing, she began to delight in doing things that not necessarily that would please me, certainly they please me, but just her way of saying, I look at you as the head of my home. I look at you as a king. I look at you as my Lord. And she began to express that to me. I began to express to her that she was my queen, and she was a queen among women, and that I loved her, and I knew she loved me. She considereth a field. I began to give her authority. See, she considereth a field. Most men are afraid to give their wives any authority at all. Figure they may take all the money and spend it foolishly or wickedly. But now she considereth the field. And I said, I trust you. Here's the authority. As a matter of fact, what I did, I turned all the financial responsibility over to her. And she made some mistakes in the beginning. But finally it ended up where she could deal with bankers and attorneys and difficult business transactions and do a remarkable job. And today, she handles all of those affairs for me so that I'm able to give my mind wholly over to the things of the ministry. Once in a while, when she needs a special question answered, I'm always there for counsel. But she handles it. A remarkable woman, a talented woman, a skilled woman. And all that came out of understanding the power that God has placed in every man to bring that virtuous woman out of his woman. And the gift that's in every woman to be this virtuous woman once she grasps that picture of herself. She considereth the field, and she buyeth it. And with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. 
And it goes on through this remarkable thing, telling all of the wonderful things that she does. And I begin to tell my wife, this is how I see you. This is how you really and truly are. And then a remarkable thing at the end here. It says, she openeth her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. And I want to come back to that word, she openeth her mouth with wisdom. Most women, as far as most men, their testimony, they say all women are silly. They don't even have any good ideas. They're just all foolish. But the Bible says this particular woman opens her mouth with wisdom. Well, I began to tell my wife that I know you have in you wisdom. And there's another scripture in the Bible that I'll read to you. She has wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Far different from what happens today when they call the mother the old lady and the father the old man. There needs to be restored these wonderful faith pictures to the home so that the children rise up and call their mother blessed. And her husband also, and he praiseth her. Oh, there's an art in learning to do that. There's an art in looking for every possibility of heaping praise upon your wife and heaping praise upon your husband that builds them up in the Lord. It doesn't make them big-headed or stuffy. It makes them very humble when you literally say, I see in you this man of God. I see in you this woman of God. And you begin to heap that praise upon them. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. And I want to speak a word right here to you husbands, that the goals you have set for yourself in your lifetime, whether you be a very old man, maybe you're in your 70s or 80s, yet if there is life yet for you, there are things that God wants you to do, and that's why you're here. It may be to impart your wisdom to the younger generation. It may be to be an example to those who are coming on. It may be to give stability to the church. But whatever it is, your lifetime goals, whatever they are, should come to you from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You should see that you have a work to do for God. Now, if you're a young man, the same thing is true. You have a lifetime goal of serving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're married of being a good husband and a good father, if God should give you children, whatever it is, these goals must come to you out of the Word of God, quickened by the Spirit, so that you know they apply to you. Then there may be something specific within the range of general good behavior that God will want you to perform personally. He may call you into a special work. He may send you to a special place. And so you know what it is that God wants you to do, or you sense what it is that God wants you to do. Now, in order to accomplish that, you then need wisdom. Now, you must look for every source of wisdom that you can find. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without that, the Bible actually states that the world, in essence, is insane. It says when we are saved, God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, meaning that before we were saved, we had an unsound mind. We were, in essence, insane. The things we believed, the ways we acted, evidently indicated that we were. We did not have a right relationship with our Maker, so our minds were just not operating properly. Now, wisdom also comes from the reading of the Word of God, and the Bible tells us this. Blessed is he that read it. 
and he that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, probably speaking of Revelation, but certainly true of the whole book. The Bible tells us the study of Proverbs is a particularly good book for increasing your wisdom, your grasp of things. And as you read the whole book, understanding the heart of God increases your wisdom. But there is a particular gift of wisdom which God has placed upon the earth which is practically overlooked by every human being. And it's only as you believe the Word of God and act upon its truth that you can bring forth this great storehouse of wisdom. And that gift of wisdom is a woman. Now, I must state that again because it is so completely overlooked and it is so completely misunderstood by the world Many times people think of women just, oh, they're silly. And even women, having a desire to please men, actually try to take on this aspect of their being and just act in a silly kind of a way because they're trying to show that they're just a female and they don't know too much. Now, God has intended that the woman shall be a helpmeet to her man, that she is to be submitted to him so that he becomes the decision maker. It is God that gives him the direction in life that they are to accomplish between themselves. But it is the man who makes that decision. But a help me for him is this woman in whom God has imparted a particular gift of wisdom. Now this wisdom, like every other gift that exists, must be brought out of the woman's heart. It cannot be. It does not just suddenly appear. It literally must be called forth by the head of the home. Every father should call forth wisdom out of his daughters. Every husband should call forth wisdom out of his wife. Every pastor should call forth wisdom out of the women of the church so that noble and strong women will be raised up and not merely repressed and frustrated women who in many cases cause a great deal of trouble in a church because they're not given their rightful place so that they can express their heart and become a vital working part of the church under authority to be sure, under direction that it's the men who are to rule in the church. But there's a great storehouse, a great embodiment of real, true, godly wisdom in the heart of every woman if it's brought forth. Now let's look at the third chapter of the book of Proverbs, and I'll show you this from the Word of God. Speaking here in chapter 3, and I think we better, to save time, jump right down to the 13th verse. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Now here again, the word seems to be directed toward the man. Happy is the man, because the man is charged by God with the accomplishment of a certain goal. There's a certain goal he must achieve, and here's what he must do. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Now notice the wording changing. She is more precious than rubies. Now speaking of the subject wisdom, calls wisdom a she. Now please notice that this is also what it speaks about the virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Now here's the same wording. This wisdom, she is more precious than rubies. A virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies. Exact comparison. This is used elsewhere in the book of Proverbs. 
and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. And it's the same teaching that's elsewhere in the Word of God about a virtuous woman, about a good wife, that everything, you could lose it all. And if you had this virtuous woman, you would have a great treasure. The Bible says, He that receiveth a wife receiveth a good thing and great favor from the Lord. Many other scriptures that indicate the great value of a wife. God, you remember, caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and he removed from his side a rib, and he builded a woman and helped meet. God looked at man, taught him a lesson by bringing all the animals to him, allowing him to name them, and letting Adam discover for himself that in all the earth there was not found a companion for Adam, not a helpmeet anywhere. And God said, it is not good that man should dwell alone. I will make and help meet for him. And that help meet was uniquely and specially designed to help that man accomplish the purposes of God in the man's life. And so God gives to the man a goal, and he places in the heart of the help meet that God gives him great helpful gifts, one of which is wisdom. And if that man knows how to plumb and draw out that gift, then that gift will help him achieve what God has given him to do. So it says here that all the things that thou canst desire, think of that, are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Then it goes on to talk about the Lord by wisdom, did this and that and the other thing. Now we go over here to other chapters, and you'll see the same basic teaching is there as God begins to develop the idea of wisdom. In the fourth chapter, fifth verse, it says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Now here again I'm saying that every man that is married, every father that has daughters, every pastor that has women in his church, every brother that has a sister, every person that has any relatedness at all to the opposite sex has available under the right circumstances this great gift of wisdom if he knows how to bring it forth. So it says, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, talking about wisdom again as a woman, and she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. And it goes on to speak of wisdom in many places of the book of Proverbs as a woman. And yet, many of us as husbands, I did this myself for years. I'm speaking now to the men directly that might be listening to me. For years, I literally bottled up this great channel of wisdom because I did not know how to use God's faith pictures. And then when I began to reveal to my wife the truth about herself and say, look here, this wisdom is in you. I know that it is because God says it is. And I read her, her the different scriptures at first she wouldn't really even believe me because I had so imparted to her 
a negative faith picture. I had so taken my human words and discarded God's words, discarded the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I had literally spoken to her words that were untrue, and I had told her how she was no help to me at all and how she was causing me to be a failure and how she had no wisdom and how she could never do anything right and how she continually made error after error and mistake after mistake that caused nothing but frustration in my life and how I would be better off without her, etc., etc. I had been doing this to the church, and the church was weak, and the church was frustrated, and the church could not really function because the pictures I gave them were not from the Word of God. They were from my own heart, and my own heart was filled with nonsense and foolishness. And I had done this to my children. I had not given them the pictures of them from the Word of God, the strong young men and women which were the gift of God to my home. And it was a glorious and wonderful thing that had happened to me that they had come my way. I had not given them that kind of picture at all, but a completely negative picture talking to them in ways saying that you're getting these terrible grades, you're ashamed of me, you're going to end up in a police station someplace, you have no right understanding of what life is all about, you're acting in a stupid manner, what's the matter, don't you have it together? And this type of, this type of impartation, instead of taking the Word of God and beginning to tell them who they really were, and that God had been very wise in sending them to my household, that He had given them to me as a gift to bless my life, and he had been wise in choosing their father because I was here to help them. And he had given them a wise mother and she was there to love them and to impart to them wisdom. And we were a happy household and God reigned in our household. No, I did not fill them with that kind of understanding, but with my own ideas. And I almost destroyed my family. It was broken up for a time. God brought us back together. Then as I began to give to my wife these pictures, these truths, Finally, she heard it, knew that I believed it, knew that it was in the heart of God, and she began to believe it, and then she began acting upon it. A little bit at first, very, very fearfully, for fear that some terrible judgment would be placed upon her again by myself, or some terrible criticism would be leveled at her, because I learned to let God put the oil of the Holy Spirit upon my tongue, and as he began to put love in my spirit deep down inside, the tiniest little evidence that she was imparting that wisdom to me. I would literally just say, praise the Lord, that's wonderful, that's really helped me. Is there more that you've got to say? And she would begin little by little to loosen up. And now she has brought to me many, many times the wisdom, the insight, the understanding that has caused me to accomplish something that God has given me to do or to cause me to avoid some terrible calamity that would have come my way except for that divine repository of wisdom that God has placed in my wife. And I've taught this to others, and they're finding the same thing is true, that in their wives this great repository of wisdom. And do not think, sir, when you're listening to me, that this will cause your wife to rise up and think that you're less of a man. You'll become far more of a man than you ever were in your whole lifetime by releasing this great repository of wisdom, this great body of wisdom, because that wisdom will help you to act with great force and certainty, and all of your powers as a man will be released, and you'll become what God really intended you to be, and your wife will be in joyful and happy submission to you, and the result will be that you'll become far more useful to God than you've ever known before. Practice these pictures. Read to each other the Word of God. Say to your mate, to your sister, to your mother, to your children, 
This is who you are. This is what you are. This is what God says about you. Believe it. Act upon it. Begin to manifest it. You'll find out some glorious and wonderful things will take place in your family, between you and your wife, between you and your children, between you and your community and church. Everywhere you'll see the results of God's Word influencing people for good.